all I'm trying to urge Christians is to be discerning. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we might come to different conclusions and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I think God is pleased, though, when we are actively discerning rather than just indiscriminately pulling in whatever happens to be popular out there in the secular culture. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funke. And I'm Cara Devereaux. And today we are interviewing special guest Scott Aniel. We'll be talking about the real purpose of corporate worship. We will answer the question, is culture actually neutral? And we will get some great tips on how to discern the influence of the outside world on our Sunday services. But first, if you haven't already, head over to himpartial.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. This allows us to keep in touch with you when the pesky algorithms of social media decide to up and change. Plus, the weekly newsletter contains all sorts of fun bonus content, including exclusive videos that our subscribers get to see first. In this week's bonus clip, we will be talking to Scott about whether redeeming the culture is really the Christian's calling. But if you're listening to this and you haven't signed up yet, you will have to wait to gain access to that content on our YouTube page. Don't miss out next time. Go over to himpartial.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter today. So um, we have Scott on the show because he is really good on culture and worship. I've read his book by the waters of Babylon. I absolutely recommend it. I've got another one of his books on my TBR again yes. about worship. Uh, one of the things that I really found helpful about this episode was when he talked about, um, the sort of the spectrum between people who will adopt anything and everything from the culture, believing that it's neutral compared to those who refuse to have anything to do with secular culture because it's evil and mm. having been in both of those kind of worldviews or being in churches that have had both of those worldviews I found um his thoughts on that and his advice on that very very helpful yes definitely and he really just gave us back to back to back like knowledge bombs like throughout this episode I thought what was particularly helpful during the discussion is when he defines culture and specifically culture not being the same as eth ethnicity yeah um and I think uh just the the following kind of definition that he gave and and the way that we see culture I thought it was hugely, hugely helpful, and it really shapes the conversation whenever you hear Christians talking about culture and worship. And obviously, he's literally written the book on it, so we think you'll really enjoy this interview. So without further ado, Dr. Scott Annual is a teacher of culture, worship, aesthetics, and church ministry philosophy. He lectures around the country in churches, conferences, and seminaries, and he has authored several books, including By the Waters of Babylon and Let the Children Come. Scott is executive vice president and editor-in-chief of G3 Ministries. In addition to this, Scott is professor of pastoral theology at Grace Bible Theological Semin Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. Scott and his wife, Becky, have four children, Caleb, Kate, Christopher, and Caroline. Scott Annual, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're very excited. I've been reading your book and I've been absolutely loving it. It's so helpful. <laughs> oh, good. Great. So you're a professor at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. 
And yes. you've written quite a lot about worshipping culture. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to faith, and how you became interested in this particular area of theology? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was privileged in the providence of God to grow up in a Christian home, strong Christian family, uh, from the earliest of ages, was exposed to the gospel. Um, I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, but of course, this is often true for children who grow up in Christian homes. The potential danger of that is early false professions of faith, which was mm -hmm. certainly true for me. Um, I kind of knew what was expected of me, made, an, made a profession as a young child. And, you know, I, I lived a good life and obeyed my parents and all of that. But it wasn't until my teen years that I recognized that these were just externals. I was just conforming to a standard that I really had no true internal love for the Lord and the Holy Spirit convicted me in around 13, age 13, uh, I, I repented of my sins and, and, uh, and trusted Christ and was truly uh, inwardly changed. Uh, not a lot externally changed because I was you know, in that sort of Christian environment, but internally, mm -hmm. certainly, I began to do things more out of a love for Christ. Yeah. I was also in a very strong uh, church and Christian school that had a, a strong emphasis on music in particular, and our family was very musical. So from a very early age, I was involved in taking music lessons and involved in the music of my church and uh, Christian school as well, band and orchestra and all sorts of things. So I had this love for music. And then in my upper high school years, began to increasingly have a love for theology. So I had this sort of double love. And of course, that was sort of the perfect combination that led me in both my education and then eventually ministry to begin to think and read and contemplate and then eventually teach and write in the area of worship, church music, aesthetics, culture, um, and these sorts of subjects. And I, I just had a real burden for uh, thinking biblically about these things. I had seen extremes where on the one hand, some people just don't think at all biblically. They just sort of follow the culture and do whatever's popular. Uh, on the other hand, maybe some people take extreme positions and are more reactionary against some things that are happening in culture, but don't necessarily have thoughtful biblical reasons. And so that mm -hmm. motivated me really to just immerse myself in scripture mm -hmm. and uh, began to write and found that that people were really thirsty for this sort of thing. And that propelled me into academia and all sorts of things to try to wow. communicate biblical truths about worship and music and culture uh, to as many people as I can. Wow, that's that's interesting. I, I love hearing um, folks' testimony, and I think especially folks who have been raised in the church because I wasn't. So it, oh, I, yeah. I, you know, I do think that that's like sort of a. It is definitely such a rich blessing to have Christian parents who raise you in the way that you should go, um, and what a protection that is for yes. for you know children in those homes, whether they profess faith or not it's such a it's such a lovely protection and you know all glory to god that they do profess faith when they do yes. yeah um, so that's absolutely. that's really encouraging and it's great to hear how you kind of cuz i think we've taught we've spoke about that on this show a little bit just seeing that need I, I actually do think even starting this podcast we've seen that need people are really hungry to learn more about mm. um you know how we should be worshiping and and right. and I think there's there's maybe a little bit of a turn culturally that's happened in the West where maybe in the 2000s we were kind of wiling out and now we just, <laughs> we're trying to rein it in a little bit, yeah. um, which actually I think leads 
best into the question Cara was just about to ask after me, but I think she should ask her question first because I think that more naturally leads into... We live in a culture that kind of expects us just to roll up to church and be blessed, uh, but in your books, in your book, By the Waters of Babylon, you mention that worship is not natural, it must be learned. And that quote really struck me as I was reading it. And I was wondering, could you talk a bit more about what you mean by that and how we can learn to worship rightly? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, you, you, you zeroed in on a core issue that I'm seeking to address in a lot of my writings on this subject, because we, we have gotten into this perspective within sort of evangelical Christianity that what we are doing when we gather for worship is just, we just, we want authentic expression. We just want whatever, whatever comes to our minds and our hearts is, is immediately and by virtue of its very existence pleasing to the Lord. But the problem with that is a couple of things. Number one, we don't think about that. We don't think that way in any other aspect of our lives, right? We recognize mm-hmm. that even as Christians, we need to be sanctified. Uh, even as Christians, yes, absolutely. We are accepted by God because of Christ, not in any way because of anything that we do. So in that sense, we are always accepted, right? We are accepted because of Christ. But there's another uh, um, aspect of acceptability in terms of our lives and our worship that is not a sort of judicial acceptance like heaven or hell, but is more like whether we are whether a child is pleasing or displeasing to a parent. If my child disobeys me or or misbehaves, that doesn't change my relationship with my child. I am still his father. He is still my son, but it does harm our fellowship. And in the same way as believers, we absolutely affirm that we are accepted through Christ. That will never change, but that doesn't mean we just do whatever we want. It doesn't mean that our actions ought not flow from our faith and relationship with the Lord. And it doesn't mean we don't need to be sanctified. We absolutely do. That will be true for us in all of our lives as we seek to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So I think most Christians recognize that with with respect to our daily lives, our attitudes, our our, um, inclinations, and the kinds of things that characterize our lives. But when it comes to worship, somehow we just think that all of a sudden, the moment we're saved, it's all just going to be perfect, Mm -hmm. or it's all going to be completely pleasing to the Lord. Well, if that were the case, then why would God say things like, worship the Lord acceptably with reverence and awe, Hebrews chapter 12, Mm -hmm. or Romans chapter 1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. That's not talking about salvation. We are accepted by God through Christ. That's talking about lives of worship, Romans 1, or Hebrews 12 is addressing drawing near to God in worship Mm -hmm. and doing so in a way that is honoring to him, that is reverent, that is giving him the due respect. And that's something that has to be cultivated and learned within the life of a believer, just like any other area of sanctification. So what the, the main thing that I think this, this influences is how we come to and approach what we're doing in corporate worship. Mm-hmm. Corporate worship is not primarily or certainly exclusively just about Christians getting together to authentically worship God. Now, of course, we hope that is happening, mm-hmm. but it is more we should more think of it in terms of the, the worship service ought to be forming and maturing and shaping 
the worship of the people in the congregation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sanctification. It's discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the most significant texts that communicates this is First Corinthians chapter fourteen which is a chapter entirely given over to the subject of corporate worship. Paul is addressing problems in the worship services of Corinth. But what's striking is that over and over again in that chapter, he, he keeps saying things like, the, the purpose of this is to build up the body, to edify the body. And if that's not happening, then there are problems within the context of corporate worship. That principle is, is is important, especially from the perspective of leaders within the church, that what we are doing when we plan and lead a corporate worship service ought to be for the purpose of the sanctification, discipleship, and maturity of the body. And then for the rest of the congregation coming to corporate worship, we ought not to come and just, just uh, expect to, to be able to express whatever is natural to us, or certainly not whatever is just natural out in the culture. We ought to come expecting to be challenged, to be, to be formed and shaped maybe in ways that we don't expect, to be discipled within the corporate worship service. Mm-hmm. We expect that with the sermon, right? We, we know that sometimes the sermon will be encouraging and comforting, but sometimes the sermon will be challenging. Sometimes yeah. it'll step on our toes. We need to view every aspect of the service that way, including our music. The music that's sung, the other elements of the service are all to build us up into mature disciple worshipers of God who will then live out that worship seven days a week, not just for the you know hour and a half or whatever on Sunday morning. It's such an interesting disconnect that, like you're saying, we come and we expect something from the sermon, but we yeah. expect the music part to be about us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, or just be whatever's you know whatever's coming out of our heart, our, you know our mouths and our hearts. And and listen, you know, if some people will 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 react to what I'm saying and say, you know, a child can draw a, you know, a goofy picture that has, that's, has no artistic value and they give it to their parent and that honors the parent. The parent's not going to judge the, the scribbling. And that's absolutely true, right? Yeah. And, and this is where even our meanest, weakest offering to the Lord that that pleases the Lord and, he's th- and he loves for his children to approach him. But when it comes to corporate worship, that's not that's not the the main objective. Again, the main objective mm-hmm. is the building of the body. So my three year old might hand me some scribbled crayon thing, and I put it up on my refrigerator. Yeah. But I don't take it to an art gallery and put it on the wall and expect everybody to you know to 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 value it the same way that I do. Yeah. That's how we need to view corporate worship. Corporate worship is not the fridge. It's not the the crayon drawings on the fridge. Corporate mm-hmm. worship is the chance for the leadership of the church to take the word of God and to communicate that word in appropriate ways to the congregation so that the congregation is built up, discipled, and shaped so that we we grow, we mature in our expressions of worship to, toward the Lord. If my 15-year-old gave me the same piece of paper paper with, you know, crayon scribbling on it that my three-year-old does, I would see that as a problem, right? (laughs) Hopefully there's growth and it's the same with our corporate worship. Yes. Mm. A Christian who's, who's saved and just immediately cries out to the Lord and prays, of course, God is pleased by that, Mm. but we ought to see growth Mm. in an individual Christian's life in the area of worship, just like we would expect in every other aspect of a Christian's life. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it it was we we were going to ask specifically about <laughs> you know the challenge that people say, well, what does it matter how we worship if our intentions are pure? You've kind of touched on that, but I do think, you know, your kind of example of the child and the teenager kind of it it gets to the heart of like, okay, well, what is this question about? Is this question yeah. about like how how glorious our worship is in our, right. you know, cause and my, my husband will be the first one to correct um, me or anyone else to say worship is not just singing, you know, and you probably yeah. would be on that same page. You know, it's, yep. it's your life. Like you said, uh, Romans, it's a living sacrifice. You know, that's what we're doing every single day. Yep. But when it comes to sung worship or even the worship service, again, something that my husband would uh, call the Sunday service, I think people are like, well, your heart's in the right place. So that's really all that matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I hear this thing a lot too. And and I, I think we've got biblical examples that answer this. You know, again, you could fall into one of two one of two extremes. There are some who say it's all about the heart. It doesn't matter how you worship. Hmm. And then the other extreme is some people are all about the externals. We've got to conform to a standard. We have to do things in a certain way. And their heart is not right with the Lord, right? Well, we see examples of both condemned in scripture. You have examples, for instance, of, uh, of Uzzah who reached out to steady Mm -hmm. the, the cart of, you know, the Ark of the covenant Mm -hmm. was his motivation right and good. Mm -hmm. Yes, but he did it wrong and Mm -hmm. God struck him dead. Or you look at the example of Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons who offered unauthorized fire to the Lord they weren't worshiping a false god, and there's nothing in the text that says that they had, you know, bad hearts. Mm-hmm. They just didn't obey the Lord's commands. Yeah. So, so there's examples of right heart but wrong action. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you've got other examples of people who are doing everything right, like at the end of the Old Testament after the return from exile. People were doing the sacrifices, they were coming to the temple, they were obeying the law, but they're condemned in the book of Malachi because their heart is far from him. Same error with the Pharisees who, but you know, in, in a sense, had the right motivation. They wanted to protect the law, but they began to add to the law and their heart was you know, very legalistic and they didn't really love the Lord and Christ mm-hmm. condemned them. So both are important. That seems to be the biblical, yeah. the biblical picture. We have our absolutely God cares about our hearts, but he also wants us to obey him. He also wants us to follow his instructions. And if we go off in either of those aspects, the externals or the internal, then again, it's not that we're not accepted. We're accepted by God, by God through Christ, but does it bring honor to him? Does it mm. show our respect? That's what we ought to be after in both our heart attitude and the way that we obey the commands given to us in scripture. So I think, I think that segues nicely into the subject of culture. Um, I know I, I got quite a culture shock moving from California where everyone's a hippie to Scotland where, you know, there's a strong, I I don't want to say liturgical history but there's Mm. something like it you know there's you know the strong psalm singing um uh history and where hymns are sung you know it's like oh only the good hymns and from this particular you know hymnal and you know we let the first verse play and then we stand and then we sit and then it's like a whole you know it's Mm. and i think 
some people might hear this and they might say, oh, well, whatever you're thinking about has to do with your particular culture. Mm -hmm. I'm from the black church. I'm from the West African church. I'm from the Chinese church. I'm from the whatever cultural, you know, church, uh, which, you know, don't, don't bite my head off. I wouldn't literally call them Chinese and African churches, but you know, in a cultural context, that's the kind of church they, and, and they would say, but this is just kind of like your Western British or American view of how we should worship. Is culture really a big deal or, you know, should we understand it as morally neutral yeah. Um, and, and if it's not neutral, how far should we allow it to influence the way we we worship? Yeah, absolutely. So this this is sort of the central core concern I had in By the Waters of Babylon. Uh, we, we have to first by, start by defining what culture is, mm. because it's not a biblical word. So you can't mm. just like look in the index under the seas, right? Um, it's not a biblical word, which is not a, not a problem. We use a lot of yeah. words that are not biblical. Yeah. But the question is, th- this this concept of culture that developed... You know, it's, that, that term was first used in the late 18th century and sort of developed in the 19th century as a way to describe <clears throat> the different ways that different groups of people act and behave, like you're just talking about. You go to different parts of the world, people are behaving differently than one another. There's different customs, different, you know, different um, arts, different music. And so that word culture began to be used to describe those differences. So the question then becomes, what in Scripture... Uh, can inform our understanding of this new concept of culture. Uh, and and uh, the, the, the common answer to that is something like ethnicity. So ethnicity is the same as culture. The problem with that is ethnicity refers to people, right? People with a, maybe a, a common heritage, <clears throat> common ancestry, and that sort of thing. Culture, even in terms of how the early anthropologists defined it, people like Edward Tyler, who is the father of British anthropology, he defined it as the way people behave. Mm. So ethnicity refers to the people. Mm. Culture doesn't refer to the people. It refers to how they behave, their customs, what they produce artistically, how they operate. You, know, you talked about the certain you know, customs of standing and waiting for one stands and all of that. It's, it's how people are acting, right? Yeah. So it's not, it's not the same as ethnicity because what you'll often hear by people who, who assume that culture and ethnicity is the same is they'll say, well, to, to condemn an ethnicity is racist which I would agree, right? No, God, God created all ethnicities. There's no one ethnicity that is superior to another. To argue that would be racist. So if ethnicity and culture are the same thing, then to criticize a culture would then also therefore be racist. But again, I, those categories are different. Culture, if culture is, and again, this is how anthropologists define it, if culture is the way people behave, then what I argue in the book is very simply, we ought to ask, well, what does scripture say about the way we behave? Is yeah. that neutral? Certainly not, right? Yeah. How we behave, how we live, the customs, the, the activities, all of that is a reflection of values and beliefs, mm-hmm. often unconsciously, right? Sometimes we don't think about it, but nevertheless, it is a reflection of what we believe. So therefore, I would argue that culture is not neutral, 
we ought to always ask the question, whatever cultural form or expression or custom that we're considering or evaluating, we ought to often ask what implicit beliefs and values are embodied in this cultural expression. Mm. And that's how we can determine the, the, the worth and the fittingness of those various cultural uh, expressions. Now, don't hear me say that there's only one right culture or there's only one right set of behaviors. Sometimes one, you know, the way one people act and the way another people act, sometimes both of them are expression of noble values mm. and they're just different, mm-hmm. right? So the, the example I like to use is like in the West, when we meet someone, we typically shake their hand. Or maybe now it's just a fist bump or an elbow bump. <laughs> Whereas, you know, in Asian, a lot of Asian cultures, they bow, mm-hmm. right? Those are two very different forms of expression and greeting. I look at both of those and I say, okay, what, what values are embedded in the handshake? Well, mm-hmm. as it developed, I think it was sort of a, a, an equality, like we're on the same you know, plain, but we also want that physical touch and we're showing that we are respecting the other person and Mm -hmm. in in that greeting. Those are noble, good biblical values, right? That Mm -hmm. seems to be to be a cultural expression that is perfectly fitted with a Christian worldview. On the other hand, what does bowing show? It shows respect. Even though that's not my custom, I can recognize the implicit Mm -hmm. values in that expression. And again, I would say both of these are fitting, are honoring to the other person. They're just different. And it's the same with worship. I'm not saying all worship and different civilizations and societies has to look all alike, or is that that there's only one right way or anything like that. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is that we have to be sure that we're not just accepting what's ever out there without being discerning, especially as our culture becomes more post-Christian and mm-hmm. secular values are more dominant, we have to, we, I would say we have to even be suspicious mm-hmm. of, the, of the dominant cultural expressions around us because very likely they are uh, embodying values that are contrary to Christianity. Not necessarily, there's still common grace, people are still made in the image of God, even unbelieving people can can produce culture that's fitting with Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I, all I'm trying to urge Christians is to be discerning. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, we might come to different conclusions and, and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, I, I think God is pleased though, when we are actively discerning rather than just indiscriminately pulling in whatever happens to be popular out there in the secular culture. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing about culture not being neutral because I know that I know a lot of people that think that they're kind of like, well, what does it matter? It's neither here nor there, but it really does. But with that in mind, like, how do we learn how to discern what to keep and what not to keep. I think yeah. that's like a, a big issue. It can be very confusing with all the different voices. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I would say a couple of things. Number one, um, I think we need to be careful of making it a sort of a strategy to intentionally go out in the secular culture and bring that culture into the church. Mm. 
that let let's let's stop doing that right i was you know amen <laughs> will will we sometimes resemble certain aspects of the culture around us we can't help it right i mean you know i wear clothes that kind of look like what other people do and mm. and you know and i speak in english right mm. but that's not because i went i went around and said let me see how much like the world i can be mm. it's just because i'm a person living in the society right so I so instead number 2 what I would say is let's just intentionally cultivate culture within our local congregations that comes out of scripture that is informed by scripture right uh, and yes it, because we're part of western society or whatever culture we live in we're going to look and resemble like you know the people around us but that's not our intention our intention is to be biblical right that's first and foremost and where the culture around us happens to be consistent with scripture fine no problem uh number three we have to be actively discerning right so so even when we resemble the culture around us we need to ask hard questions like I mentioned earlier, what what values is this expressive of? Where did this cultural form come from? Mm -hmm. Not that anything, again, that the world produces is automatically bad, but it should at least, least cause us to pause and ask hard questions. This cultural form came out of a lifestyle of you know, misogyny and, and rage and drug culture. Well, maybe then this cultural form is reflectant of those values. Let's at least ask the question, right? Um, and then, you know, when it, when it comes to something like music, it's actually not too difficult to, to sort of discern generally what kinds of values are embodied because music communicates very similarly to how we as humans naturally express ourselves with vocal inflection and body language, right? So I can... I can look at somebody across a room and I can basically tell what kind of mood they're in just by their facial expression or how they're, you know, carrying themselves. Or, you know, if, if you were to ask me, how are you doing? And I, I said, fine. Or what if I said, fine. <laughs> or if I said, fine, you know, same word, but just my vocal inflection communicates something to you. Music is just an intensification of that. Mm -hmm. So we can we can hear music, and we can ask questions. We don't have to be, you don't have to be a music theorist or a, a, a musician to get a basic discernment of what is reverent or what is flippant, what is um, fitting for biblical truth, and what might be fitting for you know, romantic love or for some other circumstance, but not for the love for the Lord. Mm -hmm. So we need to ask those sorts of questions. And then I would say, the, again, the scripture has to be our standard. Mm -hmm. the, script, the scriptures are aesthetic, right? The scriptures contain aesthetic expressions, artistic expressions. We don't have musical notes, but we do have poetry. And that can inform our sensibilities as to what is reverent or what is appropriate for expression to the Lord. So this is another reason I say, let's make scripture our standard, not the surrounding culture. Mm -hmm. And then one final thing that I think can help us, we need to be discerning, but we also need to be humble. We need to recognize that me by myself, I might come to a wrong conclusion about a particular expression. Um, I shouldn't just trust my own great wisdom and being able to discern what's appropriate. 
I ought to respect and value the community of faith. This is why we need the whole congregation or a whole, you know, uh, team of elders or or leaders in the church to to wrestle through these things together. Mm-hmm. But not only just a community of faith in this one local congregation, but also learning and benefiting from the historic community of faith. Not yeah. that tradition or what Christians have done in the past is at, at any stretch authoritative or infallible. But it still can teach us something. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm, you know, I'm, I shiver when people just completely throw away everything they've been in, they've inherited yeah. and then just try to come up with their own new stuff or even worse, draw from the secular culture. Mm-hmm. This is not a new versus old thing. This is a, a humility that says, I need to benefit and learn from what God's people have done before. Mm-hmm. Not trusting it implicitly, but learning from it. And then absolutely we ought to produce new things, but new songs, new expressions that are deeply rooted in scripture and in what God's people have done uh, in the past. So I think all of those things, it's not a, not one simple plug and play answer. All of those mm-hmm. things together uh, can help us to be discerning. And again, I want to reiterate at the end of the day, different churches, different individuals might come to slightly different applications. Um, you know, and if, if someone differs from me, you know, they can be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I'm not, my, my goal is not to say here is one right way of applying this. Um, we ought to just, we ought to just work hard at this, learn from one another, stimulate one, one another. And I think at the end of the day, God is pleased if we are the kind of people who are discerningly trying to, uh, is it is it Peter who says, you know, or, uh, Thessalonians, Paul, test everything and then hold fast to that which is good. Or in Peter, he talks about growing in our discernment, right? That ought to be our aim and goal in everything, and especially for the worship of our holy God. Yeah, I mean, that's wonderful. I think, um, I think, We've had on our show before an, another pastor speaking about worship, um, and he said similar things. And I think that's something that, even though we've heard it um, oftentimes, I need to be just reminded that that discernment really comes from um, very seriously examining the Word of God and right. trying to live accordingly. And I think maybe sometimes in our modern culture, in our modern church culture, we get a little bit embarrassed about such things like, well, Oh, you're like one of, you know, you really take the Bible really seriously. And it's like, well, how else should we take it? Um, at the risk of looking weird or sounding weird or being awkward with what our, you know, secular culture thinks is the right way to do something. Isn't that okay? If we are, um, conforming to the word of God and how we, how we worship, how we right. live our lives. That seems like a no brainer yet. It's still so difficult because the, the secular culture around us is so loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But part of the problem is that Western civilization in particular was shaped by in some respects, Christian biblical values like in the Middle Ages and into the you know, 16th and 17th centuries, 
And so Christians were sort of lulled into a passivity, like Mm -hmm. we look just like the unbelievers around us. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because of the dominant influence of Christianity for so long, not that everyone was a Christian. And obviously there were a lot of problems with Roman Catholic theology, uh, you know, during the Middle Ages, and especially toward the end. But there at least were sort of theistic values that were influencing culture. And so we really, we looked a lot like you know, Christians looked a lot like the unbelievers, and even the music in the church sounded a lot like music outside the church. Well, that's no longer the case in the West, right? Mm-hmm. The West has become increasingly secular. The problem is we we haven't recognized it. So, mm-hmm. so Christ, you know, Christians were rooted in the Word of God. Culture around us was, in some ways, looked very similar, and then culture began to move away, move away, move away, and Christians were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! We don't want to be so irrelevant. We want to, we want to still look like 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 the unbelievers." Failing to remember that, as the New Testament teaches, we are exiles and strangers. We are, we ought to see ourselves similar to Israel and Babylon, and there are there were certain aspects of Babylonian culture that that were good and fine and and the and the uh the israelites could participate in merely because of the common grace of god but there were certain aspects they absolutely could not and that's what we need to return to in christianity in the west in particular i think christians in other parts of the world get it a little better than we do especially where the gospel is persecuted um, they, they know we're not like them and they don't, you know, they don't apologize for being different Christians yeah. in the West. We've got to relearn that lesson. We've, we've yeah. kind of become passive. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Cara? No, I was just thinking you're right about Christians not really recognizing that we're living in a post-Christian culture. Like I've no. met people before that are like, but this is a Christian country. And I'm kind of like, I'm not yeah. sure if we're living in the same country because right. <laughs> it's really, really not. And you don't have to look far to see that. And I think um, particularly in the UK, we still have state churches. Yeah. And I think maybe having that as well has made it harder to distinguish what's um, what's church and what's culture. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so as the culture's moved away, the church has kind of, like you said, gone with it a right. little bit. Well, in, in the States, we don't have a state church. Our problem is that Christianity is sort of, I mean, especially for like politics, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it gets you votes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there hasn't been a single presidential candidate in my lifetime who hasn't claimed to be a Christian, mm-hmm. where, and most of them weren't, right? So yeah. we have a similar but different sort of problem here in the sort of cultural Christianity where people say they're Christian, but, but aren't. And frankly, you know, the, the, the dramatic secularization that we've seen happen just in the last five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of us are, is happy about it. Um, and, and we don't want persecution, but in some ways there's a, there's something positive to that. The yeah. world is running away from us and maybe that will help us recognize you know, we are different and we ought to be different and we ought not to apologize. And we need to firmly stand on the word of God, even at the risk of, you know, at, 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 at best being considered intolerant at worst, uh, being persecuted, put in prison, and maybe even someday, you know, uh, what, what is certainly true in other parts of the world where we'll be even at risk of our own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think as well, like, so, um, like you were saying about, the, the church and, and um, professing Christians who aren't actually Christians, I think maybe that there's a lot of concern that the church is in decline and that's yeah. not helping with the culture balance thing. But I think maybe what's happening is our as our 
culture becomes increasingly post-Christian, the people who are nominal are leaving yes. because it's not right. benefiting them anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that we're in decline, it's just that it's making it a lot clearer where the lines are between yep. those who are saved and those who are just coming for the convenience of it. Yes, I think that's right. That's happened with the secularism and increasing you know, antagonism of the world. And it happened during the whole COVID thing too. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're starting to see the sheep and the goats. We're starting to see uh, who's truly in and who's truly committed. And, mm -hmm. we're, you know, that's, we can, we absolutely should grieve over that, but yeah. in some senses it's purifying the church and that's a good thing. Yes. Amen. Um, we will have you stick around to answer a bonus question that our subscribers will get to listen to first. All right. But before we go, where's the best place people can find you? Yeah. So uh, I have a website, just personal website, scottannual.com that lists all my books and speaking itinerary and articles and things like that. Um, my main presence is on g3min.org. That's where I blog and have other resources there as well. Uh, we talked a lot about By the Waters of Babylon today. I actually have two other books coming out this month, uh, Biblical Foundations of Corporate Worship, which came out last week, and then a book called Change from Glory into Glory, The Liturgical Story of the Christian Faith, which comes out Ooh. next week. So um, I encourage people to look at that, look at those books and other things that I've written. Um, so yeah, scottangel.com or g3min.org, and I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those platforms as well. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I suggest if you've never heard of Scott, which you probably definitely have, you should definitely go check him out. He also has a really cool podcast called By the Waters of Babylon, which is very useful, very helpful to the church. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks.